All right. Well, got some singing to do here and uh, songs that I think you'll know for the most part. So lift up them voices and make a joyful noise. That includes you back there, John. Um, Dwayne, you can make a joyful noise too, can't you? And you're right up front here, so I want to hear you. All right. Well, feel free to stand, sit, whatever you want to do. Well, don't lay down, please, but feel free to stand and uh, let's sing. Sing along. Great is thy faithfulness. Thank you. 
Has he been faithful to you this week? Amen. How has he been faithful to you this week? His mercies. His mercies. They are faithful. They're there. They're new every morning. Anyone else? How's he been faithful to you this week? Feel free to uh, share your testimonies and your thoughts between the songs. If you have any prayer requests, anything like that, feel free to share that uh, between our songs. Near to the heart of God, what a, no better place to be. like you had any strength or resource. Oh, there's a couple people back there. <laughs> you know, 
<clears throat> so often we we seek for things like in, in this song we, it says we seek for things that, that can't satisfy and that's the story of, of the woman that Jesus met at the well that was the story of, of her life going through life trying things time and time again to find something that satisfied and finally found that in Jesus and you know that's that's still ultimately the the only thing that, that will satisfy yes it's we live in a very busy world and we all have things that we need to do and we live our, our busy lives but ultimately none of that is going to bring the lasting satisfaction that Jesus can bring and he can fill that cup and he can fill it to overflowing like the woman at the well I was seeking for things that could not satisfy and then
testimonies from everybody? It's kind of quiet out there this morning. If that isn't love, I like the the questions that that this song asks about the love of God. This world has a lot of ideas about what love is, what love looks like, but if you want to know what true love is, listen to the words of this song and and the word picture that it gives. Think about how endless the love of God is.
Let's declare the word of the Lord. Let's hear you all in this one. These are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of your servant, Moses, righteousness being restored. And though these are days of great trials, of famine and darkness and sorrow, seated. All right. Let's have a few announcements here before we have John. John, you have the children's lesson today? All right. He was supposed to have it last Sunday, but he was uh, feeling like his head was falling off or something like that, as I recall. Apparently, it's feeling better today. Well, welcome. Glad to have each of you here, visitors, those watching online. Pray that you'll uh, be blessed by 
joining us here today. If you have a bulletin, I think most of the announcements are in there, but uh, pretty much the normal ones. Lunch following the service, please stay and Join us for that, and if those of you watching online can get here in time for that, you're welcome to do that too. Got a game night coming up. Is that this coming Friday night? The third. All right, that's here at the church, 6.30 p.m. It's a very uh, informal time of fellowship and games. Feel free to invite your friends and family and whoever else you'd like to, to come and join in that. This past week, due to the weather, the men's Bible study was canceled. The book study at at Phil's place, so the next one will be coming up on March 8th, which will be next week, correct? Got a couple's night planned. Says details are still to come. I think I've been announcing that for about a month here with details still to come, and apparently they're still coming, so have patience on that. (laughs) March 24th. And the youth retreat is still to come. We decided to get the uh, word out on that a little earlier this year so people can put it in their schedules. That is planned for Wednesday, August the 9th through the 13th. We're going to be opening registration for that in April, but feel free to... Spread the word on that to anyone who might be interested so they can put that on their schedule. We have coffee, tea, water, whatever else you can find out there in uh, the entryway. Please feel free to make use of that. And a reminder to give to the Lord as he uh, lays it on your heart in whatever way he lays on your heart. And if he uh, asks you to give monetarily, there is an offering box in the, on the back wall as well. All right. John, you got your sermon ready? Kids, come on up here. And then after the uh, children's lesson, we'll turn the time over to Phil. Hi guys. Wow, that was astounding. Hi guys. Hi. A little better. Hi. There you go. I'm going to read you guys a story today, okay? Moses was a wee baby boy. His mother loved him and held him close. His father loved him and patted his fat little cheeks. Sister Miriam loved him and sang him happy songs. Little brother loved him and tickled his tiny toes. Never was a baby more loved than baby Moses. But the king where Moses lived was a wicked man. He said to his helpers, throw all the baby boys into the river. Oh, no, no, said mother, and held baby Moses closer. We'll never let anyone throw our baby into the river, said father. No, never, never, said Miriam. Little brother shook his head. No. We'll hide our baby, said mother. But baby Moses didn't like to be hidden away all day. He cried and cried. Miriam was afraid 
the king's men wouldn't hear. Shh, baby Moses, she whispered. But he cried the louder. Oh, what can we do? asked Miriam. We'll make a basket boat for baby Moses and hide him in the rushes at the river's edge, said mother. They wove a tight little basket and painted it with pitch to keep it from leaking. Mother put a soft pillow in it. She laid baby Moses on the soft pillow. Early the next morning, so early, little brother was not yet awake. Mother and Miriam took the little boat with baby Moses in it down to the river. They floated it on the water. Tall rushes kept the basket boat from floating away. Mother left Miriam to watch while she went home and prayed God to keep her baby safe. The sun shone warm. The soft breezes blew. The water rocked the little boat. Baby Moses liked to be rocked. He fell fast asleep. Miriam hid in the bushes by the river. She watched the basket boat as it rocked to and fro on the water. But listen, someone was coming. Oh, 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 it was the king's daughter and her maids coming to take a bath in the river. Would she see the little boat? Would she throw baby Moses into the river? The king's king's daughter came closer and closer. She stopped at the river's edge and pointed to the little boat. Go, she said to her maid. Go bring the basket to me. The king's daughter raised the cover. Oh, what a lovely baby. I want him for my very own. Miriam came running. She made a little bow to the king's daughter. Shall I get a nurse for the baby? Yes, said the king's daughter. Go find a nurse to take care of the baby for me. Miriam bowed again, and then she ran home as fast as she could go. Mother, mother, come, come. The king's daughter found baby Moses. She wants a nurse for him. She likes her baby. She won't let anyone throw him into the river. Mother and Miriam hurried to the river. There stood the king's daughter holding baby Moses. He was crying. He was afraid of the strange lady. Take this baby and nurse him for me. I will pay you wages, said the king's daughter. Mother held out her arms for the baby. Baby Moses smiled and held up his hands. The king's daughter said to mother, Keep the baby for me until he is a big boy. Mother took baby Moses and started up the path. She was happy to be taking her baby home. Now she wouldn't have to hide him anymore. Miriam was so happy she skipped and sang. Baby Moses laughed and cooed. He was happy too. Father and little brother were waiting for them. Little brother jumped up and down and waved. When all were safely in their home again, they all kneeled in prayer around baby Moses' cradle. Father, mother, Miriam, and little brother. Thank you, God, prayed Father. Thank you for keeping our baby safe. Okay, that's the story of baby Moses. You guys can go back to your seats.
he takes our faith by putting our baby, the thing we love so much, in a basket in the river. We surrender it. We say our goodbyes. And then the Lord brings a stranger and gives it to us for some time just to steward it. And that's how God teaches us that whatever I have in life is not my own. Until God does that, with everything I own, I possess it. It's mine. Right? We're born like that. I get a birthday gift. It's mine. But you should share it, child. Oh, it's mine. And then the Lord brings a wicked, evil king into our life to kill it. To give it up. To cause us to give it back to him. To lay in a basket. And then the Lord gives it back to us and we realize we have a short time to steward this. A very short time. And he's not mine anymore. Fathers, if we've seen our children like that. Mothers, if we've seen our families, those whom we love the most. If we've seen the gifts that God gives us, whether it's spiritual gifts or earthly gift. Everything that the Lord gives us in our life. This is God's way of bringing us to a place of release. But it's even better than that. It's God's way of teaching us to be good stewards with the things he gives us. Because the truth is, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. Whether we realize it or not, if we possess the things in life, we believe they belong to me, they're mine. And we hold on to him for dear life. One day we will lose it all. He that seeks to save his life. Might lose it one day. Is that what Jesus said? What did he say? Hmm? Shall lose it. Absolutely affirmative. You will lose it. Whatever you seek to save and you grab hold of, you're going to lose it, all of it. But if you're willing to lose it now in obedience to him for his sake and for the kingdom of God, you will get it, all of it. In fact, Jesus said, if you leave farms, houses, lands, Family, fathers, mothers, children, for my name's sake, everyone who does this will get back 100%, 100-fold in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. How are you seeking to gain that which you can't keep? As Jim Elliot, a missionary who gave his life and was killed by those Indians down in South America. Was it in Ecuador? So famously said, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep. Right? 
might look foolish, but it all depends whether you are short-sighted, you're looking just for today, tomorrow, or whether you're eternally, seeing eternally. Oh, there's a word that the Lord has been sharing in my heart, and I want to pass on to you in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Are you consciously aware of those? Or do you feel alone? So often, many Christians, I hear you say it. I hear people, God's people say this. I feel it. You feel alone in your struggle. Maybe it's your struggle against sin. Maybe it's your struggle within of fears, doubts. Maybe insecurities you feel, even about your own salvation, your relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's you just feel alone in the financial struggle you're in. You look around and everyone else seems to just be doing so well that you're struggling to make ends meet. You don't know how you're going to pay next week's bills. You ever been there? Felt so alone? Maybe it's your health. Everyone around you looks so healthy, but you've been struggling for years. Therefore, since we have, you're just not seeing it, but it's there, so great a cloud of Witnesses. You know what a witness is? Can someone tell me who was a witness? If the court, if the judge is asking for a witness to take, as they say, for a person to take the witness stand, what is the qualification to be a witness? Someone? Okay. You have to promise to tell the truth. To tell the truth of what? Okay, of what happened? How do you know what happened? Hmm? You saw it. You witnessed it. They are witnesses. They're looking. They're seeing it as it is. From the heavenly perspective, we have a great cloud. Revelation says there is a great multitude which no man could number who's looking at you right now. They're seeing you sit right here. They're witnessing your life and all of its struggle. Everything about my life. They are witnessing me run my race. Yep. As you and I are running this race of life every day, we are in a theater. We're in a coliseum of witnesses. Therefore, because of this, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance, take those good-looking shoes off, and put your sneakers on. You think I'd be wise to try to run a race with these shoes in the snow? How many of you guys think you'd beat me? That, those shoes might will probably win the race. Have you taken off your earthly shoes? There's something very unique about shoes. 
They give you a feeling. Have you ever noticed that? Why do women wear heels? I have no clue. I'm not a woman. Huh? To reach things, says my little wife. She always says, why are you so tall? Can you please reach up in the top shelf there? I have to go get a step stool. She's glad she's got tall boys. Is that really why you wear heels? Come on, you're not reaching for anything at church, are you? Aha, a feeling of a princess, is it? Thanks for the honesty. Now we understand women a little better. Men, why do you wear cowboy boots? To church. Are you going to ride a saddle? Do you need to go in the stirrups somewhere? What's the reason for the boot? You're not in deep snow, are you, Anthony? Why are you wearing the cowboy boot? Huh? They look good. Is that the only reason? They're super uncomfortable or something? Shoes give us a feeling, right? They do. I grew up going to church with these kind of shoes. And so for me to come to church in my sneakers just doesn't feel churchy. I don't know. I have no clue. It's just my, that's the way I was raised. So I still do it because it feels comfortable to me. I don't wear them anywhere else unless I feel like dressing up and it feels dressy. But the Lord said to Moses when he met him, what's the first thing that God, after introducing himself in the burning bush, said to Moses? Can someone tell me? Take your hat off? Huh? Remove your shoes. Your sandals. You're on the holy ground. All of those feelings that you get from that, take it off. Why? Why do you think he said that? Why would God, God was, was God just teasing him? Maybe a conflict of feelings. You know what I think? God doesn't say so, so we're, we're surmising a bit. But I know what that happens to me when I take my shoes off. I lose all my self-confidence. That which I felt by putting them on, I felt dressy maybe. I lose the dressy feeling. I'm dressed down now. I'm barefooted. The heels, the queenly light feeling, you lose it. You're barefoot in God's presence. No self-confidence. Doesn't work in God's presence. Any self-confidence will take anything God says to you and will do exactly what it did in Moses' life. Moses knew 40 years before he was called. He was saved for a purpose. He knew who he was, Hebrews 11 tells us. He was a Jew raised in Pharaoh's palace. And then he was called to bring deliverance to Israel from their slavery. How did he first attempt to do so? Can someone tell me? What did he use? Hmm? You remember the story? Moses goes out one day, huh? A rod? 
better than that. What did he have with him that the, no Jew had? Deanna. His hand? A whip? Better than that. None of the Jews had this. Only Pharaoh's son, grandson, a sword. He's seen an Egyptian beat up on one of his Jewish fellows and he killed him because he had the means to do so. And in those days, if you were from royal lineage, you were trained as a warrior. Very important. None of the men in Pharaoh's house didn't get trained to be good warriors. They were trained well. He used his training. Was it accepted? No. It was rejected. And it caused him to run for his life. Become a shepherd for 40 years in the backside of the wilderness. And live with his father-in-law. Now if you don't think that changes a man's self-confidence, well maybe you should try it. Go be a shepherd in the wilderness, not of your own sheep, your father-in-law's sheep, and live with your father-in-law in his house. You think he had any self-confidence left? Well, he did. He still did a little. And that's why the Lord told him, take your shoes off. In case there's any self-confident feeling you have, Moses, about what I'm going to tell you to do, Take it off. Apostle Paul understood this. And in Philippians chapter 3, he says these words. Verse 3. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no Confidence in the flesh. None. Not even a shoes. Not even a sandal to stand on. Barefooted before the Lord. He says, although I might, I myself might have confidence even in my flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more, and then he goes a little bit on his bragging rights, and he says, what he did in his flesh, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Well, that was, I was I'm surprised that Paul bragged about that, because the tribe of Benjamin, if you recall, was nothing to brag about. They had lost the kingship. Do you remember that? Who was a Benjamite? One of the kings of Israel. Saul, the first king. And how did Saul feel about that? And the rest of the tribes as well. Because do you remember the story of Benjamin? Do you know the tribe barely existed? And it only existed because of the mercy of the rest of the tribes. You can read the story in Judges. There was a Benjamite who they had 
he, he, had a, 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 he had a woman who he took and he, he brought her to the door and, and, and they treated her terribly and, and, and the Benjamites, uh, there was, there was a, 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 let me just say it this way, there was corruption of sin and the, and the rest of Israel came together and said, enough, enough of this sin, hand over the guys who did this. And Benjamites said, no, we're not going to do that. They defended the sinner and the gang who did this gang rape. And so the, all of Israel called together and they destroyed the whole tribe. Everyone, except for a few men, were left. And then they had pity on them and they said, that's enough. Let's not wipe out the whole tribe of Israel, one whole tribe. Now let's give them our daughters, the rest of these men who are left, and let them be families again. So the tribe of Benjamin was like the lowest tribe in Israel. Don't you think as Israel recounted the story, which they did from one generation to another, that story came up. Oh, you're the tribe of Benjamin? No wonder Saul and the tribe of Benjamin were so, wow, we get to rule Israel. The littlest tribe. That shouldn't even be a tribe gets to rule the rest of Israel. But because Saul became proud in his heart and refused to obey God, the Lord gave the reins over to the tribe of Judah, David, which he had prophesied he would. But Paul here is saying, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, I got that. A persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is the law, which is in the law, found blameless. Paul, what a person. Are you completely blameless when it comes to the law? What about the law of God, the moral law, completely blameless? And yet Paul says, all of that has to go. I have to consider it if you continue to reading. But those things, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And that's what Moses had to do. All of the confidence in his flesh, he had to take off. Take off your shoes. Now... I want to use you to go bring deliverance to others. But not because of the shoes you wear. This is not going to come from any feeling you have. And how did Moses feel about that? Can someone tell me? After God spoke to him, what was Moses' response? I'll go. Where's my sword? Where's my horse? Is that what he said? What did he say? Why me? And then, what else did he say? You remember? I can't talk, Lord. I can't talk. I stammer. By that time, he was stuttering. That's what he said to God. I don't think he was lying about it. Because God understood his excuse. And gave him his brother Aaron, who was an eloquent man. To be his mouthpiece. It was like, 
God, I can't go to Pharaoh. I stutter. He had lost all of his self-confidence. And then the Lord said, now you're ready. And in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, because we realize we're surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance. Take off your shoes. Take off your self-confidence. All of it. And the sin which so easily entangles us. You see, self-confidence comes from, I'm hiding something. Usually the most self-confident people are also very arrogant. They come across arrogantly. You know why? Because inside, they know they're not quite what they're pretending to be. They're scared. An overly confident person usually has a deep fear within. I've, I've walked through this. I remember when I was first, first began to share the word and then I was ordained to the ministry. I was so scared that I thought I had to do it perfectly. And I'll, I'll tell you a little secret about one of my nights with the Lord. I, I would tuck Christian when I first started preaching. I would, I would put Christian and our son Christian and, and Katie. She would go to bed and we'd tuck Christian into bed. And, and I would come about 9 o'clock. I would go over to the church house and I would pray and cry. I was so scared. I didn't know what to say. I, 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 Lord, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. And, and so as I, as I began to seek God for a, a message, I would write it out. I just wrote out my sermon word for word. Because when I stand up, I've got to be able to say it well, to be understood, to communicate God's heart. I had a sincerity about it. And I remember one night when I did that, about four o'clock in the morning, the Lord spoke so strongly to me. I had like seven pages of notes because you know I, I'm not a short, I, I preach pretty long, right? You all know that. Uh, you've never heard a 15-minute sermon from Phil. Or most of you haven't. I don't know why. It's just the way it is. But I feel I had to give a good sermon and the Lord said, throw it all away. All of those notes? Trash it. I can't do that, Lord. I panicked in my heart. I can't do that, Lord. I knew the Lord said, take off your shoes. Throw it away. And when you stand in front of my people, you only say what I tell you to say. That's it. No self-confidence, nothing you've prepared you don't know the hearts of my people. I want you to stand in front of them completely dependent on me, listening so you can share. And if you get this, I will speak through you. If you don't, your confidence in the flesh, I will not bear witness to it. My spirit will not convict anyone of any sin, of anything you say. Even if you quote my word. And so I did. And from that day on, see, something had to happen in me. I had to lay aside all of my self confidence. Whatever confidence I had, had to go. 
stand barefoot before the Lord. And the Lord does this with every one of his children, no matter what he calls us to do in every area of our life. This is how we run the race to win. And they're all watching us do this. That's the encumbrance. But ha what happens is if we don't lay aside those encumbrances, those things which make us feel confident, if we don't actively, for real, you've got to do it. Not just in here. You've got to take your shoes off. You've got to trash the notes. You've got to lay aside the confidence. If money is giving you confidence, you've got to give it away. That's why Jesus said to that rich young ruler, go sell what you have. Give it all to the poor. Come follow me. Jesus didn't want any of his money, any of his land. He didn't say, come and I'll help you give it away to the poor. No. You get rid of it all first. Then you come follow me. His self-confidence was there. And Jesus couldn't use any of it. And if we don't do that, it turns into sin. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And you know what gives us that endurance now? I've laid aside my own confidence, like Moses. And I'm set free from sin. And now all I have is him. And that's exactly where he leads us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of my faith. He put faith in my heart. And now he's perfecting it in my life. The just shall live by his faith. Do you know where that's first written in the Bible? Someone tell me. Where is it first written? New Testament or Old Testament? Take a guess. Old Testament. Habakkuk. Have you read about him lately? He's one of the men I can't wait to meet in heaven. Because he spoke these words through the Holy Spirit. And he spoke them on a day, in a, in a day in Israel when Israel knew little about faith. I don't know if he understood these words, but God spoke them through this prophet. And if you haven't read his words, you should. It becomes the foundation of your faith. Ephesians chapter 2 says, the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. Everything the prophets wrote are foundational to me living my life. You know what I mean by foundational? Jesus said, anyone who hears my words and doesn't do them, what does he lack in his life, he or she? What is the difference between the one who hears his words and does them and the one who hears his words and doesn't do them? Not obedient, but what's going to happen to them? Failure. Their life will be wrecked for sure because the storms will come and beat 
on your life. And the one, your life will remain after the storm. The other one, your life is wrecked because of the storm. And in Luke chapter 6, where Jesus records this, he says, the difference is the one dug deep, the wise man dug deep and he laid a foundation and his house stood. In the natural life, I build sheds, structures without a foundation. They're called portable buildings. And I remember so well how the Lord gave me a vivid description of this. In, in 2013, I think it was, when we had the big flood, the big Thompson flood that came down the, the Thompson River down from Estes Park and just flooded out whole towns and the, the St. Vrain River that went, goes down the Longmont through Lyons just destroyed so much destruction. I had put a lot of sheds in the little town of Lyons over the many years. And I remember when that flood came through, and washed out, and then the river all of a sudden became much wider, and there was debris everywhere, they started calling me, and they said, hey, we need a new structure. The shed's gone. The shed you built for us a few years ago, or last year, it's gone. We need another one. And as I went down in there, and they left me in there before even the public was allowed in there to try to help with some of the cleanup and and I remember driving in there and there was mud this deep all over the roads and there was just every, oh, there was debris everywhere. And most of the places, though the houses were, most of the house was still there. Some of them, the houses were gone, but the foundation was still there. I looked and my sheds were nowhere around. And way down the river, I seen one on its roof. Completely upside down. It was trashed. Without a foundation, your life is a portable building. It won't stay in the place where God puts you when the storm of life hits you. And the storms of life are going to hit every one of us. Jesus said so. The storm's coming. And the difference, one lives by faith and puts its obedience in God's word. Take seriously not only what Jesus said, but what the apostles and prophets wrote. Takes the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me. And how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision. And inscribe it on tablets. That the one who reads it may run. Has the Lord spoken that to you? Write it down. That which I'm about to tell you, write it down. So that your children one day will find it and can run their race. Because of what they read, you wrote down. The Lord spoke that to me. Remember so well. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. 
It hastens toward the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by his faith. There it is. First time in the word of God. Habakkuk spoken. If you've not read it, you haven't written it down. You don't have this as your foundation yet, perhaps. Maybe in some ways you do. But there may be part of it that you missed. This encouragement that Habakkuk received from the Lord now comes as a vision to you in your life. Write your testimony down. The things I'm sharing with you in secret, Jesus said, declare openly. Declare it openly. But you can't do that if you don't get anything in secret from the Lord. If you don't stand and listen when you're going through your fiercest trial. There's something that always encourages me about the book of Daniel and many of the other men, but in particular, Daniel and John, the apostle John. They both had very similar experiences with God. Someone tell me what they were. Do you know what those similar experiences were? Yes, Jenny. They both had They did. They both had visions of the future, of the end times, when Christ will come back and establish his kingdom on the earth. And in both cases, when the Lord came to show them this vision, they both responded the same way. Can you tell me what they did? What happened to them? Anyone know? Well, you'll know if it has happened to you. Be a regular occurrence, right? They fell on their face before God. Face down on the floor. Took off their shoes. All their self-confidence. Face down. And then Jesus spoke to them. By the way, Daniel saw Jesus. Did you know that? One of the very few men in the Old Testament who's seen Jesus. He calls him the Son of Man. And when Jesus comes, that's how he identifies himself. The Son of Man. Daniel seen him. When the Son of Man spoke to Daniel, the first thing he said to him, he gave him his hand and he said, Stand on your feet. I have something to say to you. He stood him up and he looks him in the eye and then he shows him the revelation. Likewise with Apostle John, falling on his face in Revelation chapter 1 when he sees Jesus and he hears him speak, he said, I'm like a dead man. Jesus takes him and raises him up with his hand. Stand on your feet. I have something to say to you. Now write it down. He said to both of them, write it down. Some of it, I'll allow you to say in public. Others, you must keep quiet until the day of revelation. That's why we have the book of Daniel. And that's why we have the book of Revelation written down. Because these men obeyed. That's why you have the book of Habakkuk. Because he was told the same thing. And he obeyed. 
so interesting to me that we live in a Christianity. There are numerous Christians who believe that when they get filled with the Holy Spirit and they get slain in the Spirit, you know what happens? No one's falling face down and no one's getting raised up to their feet and being talked to. They're getting pushed over backwards. Really? How come I don't read about that in the Scriptures? I can't read of one time when God showed up to any of the prophets or any of the apostles and they fell over backwards because they were slain in the Spirit. Not once did it happen that way. And when I look for a manifestation of God and I want to meet with the same God they met with, I want to hear what God, their God, is saying to me now, I expect He'll do it in the same way. Not in some new way. Or somebody has to push you over and you fall on the floor and you start losing consciousness and going crazy. That's not in the Bible and it's not of God. That's where my faith is. It's not of God. I want nothing to do with it. No one's ever going to push me over on my back when I meet my God. I'll be on my face. And he'll raise me up. Stand up, Phil. I want to talk to you. Because God wants to speak to intelligent people who are listening and who are looking. Because that's what he wants to impress us with. What we see and we hear, we declare to you. John said in John chapter 1, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. And it's the truth. It's the truth. The righteous will live by his faith. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, will speak those words to us. And I've been pondering this word in Ezekiel because I've been really seeking the Lord for a, a fresh experience of this in my own life and in your lives, in all of God's people, but in particularly for us. And the Lord has been bringing Ezekiel chapter 37 on my heart. And we sang about it up here. These are the days of Ezekiel. I'll be honest with you. I personally don't really like the song. Nothing against Anthony or the songwriter. I just, I just don't think that's how it's going to be. When we see Jesus, when he comes back in the clouds, read the prophet Joel. I was reading in Joel chapter 2. And he gives... A proclamation of how it's going to be when Jesus comes. Did you know? It's going to be a day of darkness. The sun won't be shining. The moon will be turned to blood. It'll be so dark you won't be able to see anything. It'll be a cloudy day. Full of darkness and gloom. Everything about our self-confidence of what we think of when Jesus comes back won't be happening. Nothing. And if you don't have faith that this is Jesus, you're going to see him. You're going to be so scared. You're going to cry out for fear like all your neighbors around you and you'll be, you'll be panicking. That's how dreadful it's going to be. That's the word used. It will be a dreadful day. And then Jesus comes through the cloud. Every eye will see him. And all the earth won't be shouting. Uh-uh. The earth 
will be mourning. A weeping and a wailing will be all around us. And only those who live by faith whose faith have taken them through many storms in their life because they've heard the voice before. They've been here personally with Jesus, like Daniel, like John. They've heard the dreadful voice. They've been in his presence. And it's been awful. Dreadful. You fall down like a dead man. Lose all confidence. Nothing in you deserves to be there and you know it. And then Jesus speaks, raises you up, and speaks his words of eternal life in you. And that changes everything. That's how the last day is going to be. That's what Joel chapter 2 says. Not going to be like that song. Ezekiel 37, there's something that just speaks so strongly to my heart. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. Anybody want to go to a graveyard? Open graveyard, mass graveyard, unburied people. You want to meet the Lord there? You have fellowship with this man? Have you been there? Living amongst dead people. I jokingly tell the boys when we drive past the graveyards, well, say hi to the dead people. And they go, Dad, they're not there. Well, they're going to rise from those places. I know they're not there. But Ezekiel was there. And he calls me to pass among them round about. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. You'll read at the end, they were all killed. They were slain. Unburied people. Have you ever lived among unburied dead people? You're living there right now. I'm living here. There are dead people all around us who just aren't buried yet. Their souls are dead towards God. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your sinness, in your sin, and in your disease. You were dead. And the Holy Spirit made us alive toward God. There are dead people walking all around us. And they're very dry. They're hollow. They're completely dried out. killed by the devil in sin and he caused me to pass among them round about and behold there were very many on the surface of the valley and lo they were very dry and he said to me son of man can these bones live have you lived in a family like that have you lived among neighbors like that and the Holy Spirit says to you can these bones live can't they be made spiritually alive? What do you think? What do you think? Yes! If your answer is the just shall live by his faith, you will say, 
Lord, you know. The answer is yes. But he didn't even have the confidence to say so. Look where his confidence was. And I answered, oh, Lord God, thou knowest. He was honest. I don't know, God. You know. And he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, all dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life and I will put sinews on you and make flesh grow back on you and cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. Would you prophesy? I want you to notice something. How is God causing these dead people to live? Now God could have done it anyway. Right? God could have started over just like he did with Adam. He formed him right out of the dust of the dirt. And then he did CPR on him. Mouth to mouth. God was the first one to come up with that, by the way. That was God's idea. And Adam became alive. A living soul. Could God not surely do that with these dry bones? But God says to Ezekiel, that's not the way I'm going to do it. I want you to have faith for what I want to do through you speaking my word. Do you have faith there? How many times do you and I live in a place where it's very dry and there's dead bones all around us and people are killed by the devil and by sin even in my own life? Look within. Do you see sin? Do you see dead bones? Places you died. Places where there was once a love for Jesus, but it's just dried up. And you feel slain. Prophesy. Prophesy. Speak my word. And I will give life. Speak it to yourself first. Preacher, speak my word. I'll tell you a secret. I go through weeks like this week where I feel dead inside, totally dried up. I don't even know what happened. I just know I went through some deep trials of faith in my heart and in relationships with other things going on and relationships I know about and people I pray with and I, I see nothing and I'm, I, I feel utterly discouraged and I... I lack, I don't know. There's nothing there. Dry, dead bones. And the Lord says, first of all, take your shoes off. Phil, all self-confidence must go. Fall on my face, on your face. And seek me. Look into my word and open it. Now read it to yourself. Speak it out loud. How many times I've come up here and preached to myself? No one's here. Because I need it. I'm preaching to myself because that's what the Spirit of the Lord says to do. It's amazing what happens when you start speaking to yourself the words of God out loud. If you've never done it, whew, I wonder you have so many dead, dry places in your life with so many dry bones. 
That's why in Colossians he says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Sometimes you got to start strumming the guitar inside your heart. You got to tell yourself. David did. He speaks to his soul all the time. My soul, why are you so depressed? Hope in God. I think it's in Psalm 63. The words of the Lord are life-giving. And Ezekiel had the faith to do it. But something happens. I want you to notice this. So I prophesied, verse 7, as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together bone to bone. And I looked. He was conscious. He wasn't on his face anymore. He was watching what God was doing. And I looked. And behold, sinews came on them. And flesh grew. And sin covered them. And skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Why do you think God did it this way? Stages of life come to us. Not all at once. Sometimes God may do it all at once, but there's a pattern here of resurrected life that God does, that I see, that God does in my life. When I begin to speak the word of God, things begin to connect. The bones that were over here and a bone over here and a hand over there and an eye over here and an ear over there and a leg over there, they start coming together. These different things in my life that seem scattered, the Lord begins to put together. And it becomes a body of truth. A body of truth is really important. Because truth can lay over here, and truth over there, and truth over there about this, truth over there about God in that, truth over there about that person over there. But if God doesn't bring it together in a body, it remains dismembered, unfunctional in my life. Does nothing for me. Except it's like, you know, you walk into... What do they call those places where they keep all the dead animals and they put little bones up? What do they call those places? No? It's like a museum. I guess that's what you call it. You walk on and you see, you know, bones of dinosaurs or little artifacts over here. It just becomes a place where you go to see extinct things. Things that used to live, they say. Do they do anything for you today? No, a dinosaur doesn't mow your lawn. A goat will, but a dead dinosaur doesn't. There's nothing for me today. Eat you. He spoke. Things happened, but still no life. This is why God wanted him to speak again. Then he said to me, verse 9, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life, and they stood on their feet, 
and became an exceedingly great army. A force, a powerful force of truth in your life that makes you an overcomer. An army that wins your battles. It all just became, once you take off all that self-confidence, take your shoes off, fall on your face in his presence, and he says, stand up. He raises you up. Now, I'm going to speak to you. I want you to write it down. I want you to say it. Go speak my words to them, to those situations in your life, to yourself, your own dead places that you don't even know how you got there or why you got there. Maybe you just had a bad dream. Maybe you ate too much junk food this week. Maybe you just, maybe things just went crazy. Or maybe nothing happened at all. And you just got bored out of your mind. Those dead places slain maybe you fell gave into your flesh and you feel like an utter failure condemnation is heaping on you're not only dead you're dried you're unburied slain you're laying over the ground and your dead bones have been dismembered the just shall live by faith will you speak the word of God Oh, I wonder what would happen if every one of us would do that starting today. Go home and take God's word and fall on your face and look and let God lead you, speak to you, hear his voice. And then you get up and you speak it to your wife, to your sons, to your daughters, to your husband, to your situation, to your neighbors, to yourself. In every situation. You know what happens? There's now a distinct difference. You're not speaking any more of your own words. Your own ideas. Your own perspective. Your own emotions. You've taken them off. There. Your shoes are off. And that which I feel, I won't speak. And that which I see... I won't speak. That which I hear, I won't speak. But like Isaiah chapter 11 says of Jesus, he did not judge from his own judgment, but he judged righteous judgment. And you know what Jesus said? You know how he was able to do that? I only speak what I hear my father saying, what I see my father doing, that I share. I speak nothing from my own initiative. That's what Jesus said. The Son of Man was in the flesh, just like you and me. He felt everything we feel. He's seen all these slain situations and dead bones all around him. But he wouldn't speak unless he heard his father say, and then he spoke his father's words. He lived by faith. If he did not live by faith, he's not the author of my faith. 
He knows nothing about faith. But he lived by faith. He was made in all things like his brethren. So he become an effective high priest, Hebrews tells us. He lived by faith just like you and me. And that's how he lived. That's how he spoke. That's why people came to life around him. And for 18 years, from 12 to 30, he spoke nothing at all that was recorded. Can you imagine Jesus, a 25-year-old boy, man, in the prime of his life, walking through the streets of Jerusalem, walking through the town of Nazareth every year, going up to the Passover, into the temple, seeing all the hypocrisy. The house of prayer was a den of thieves. All those years he lived in it, said nothing, did nothing, except walk quietly with his father. He was not a hypocrite, though everybody around him was. All the sick, walking past the lepers, the people dying, his own father dying, standing at his father's, his earthly so-called father's, dead body, going to his funeral thinking, when, Father, could I raise him now? Here's nothing, does nothing. Knowing he's the son of man. Knowing it's all for an eternal purpose. Just walks with his God, his Father. No self-confidence was left by the time he was 30 years old. There was nothing there anymore. His shoes were completely gone. And now his father in heaven says, Okay, son, you've become perfect. I'm going to use you. Now go be baptized. Then go speak. And everything comes to life that he touches and that he speaks. I was reading through 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is the word the Lord gave me. <clears throat> Verse 14. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise me up through his power over my own encumbrances, over my own self-confidence, over my own flesh, over my own sin, over my slain, dead, dried up areas in my life. God will do that. Do you know the context of these words? Really weird. Someone tell me. What's 1 Corinthians 6 all about? What does it start out with? What was going on in the church? What were they doing to each other? They were taking each other to court. There were court battles going on in the church. Can you imagine? Dave is suing angels. They both come to church and drink coffee together and smile. But next week they're going to be in court. Because somebody didn't agree with the next guy. 
I don't know what they were suing each other over. It doesn't say. It was worse than that. There was all kinds of immorality in the church. Sexual immorality. And apparently the, the church was just fine with it. It was okay. Hey, we're all human, man. We all fail. We all live according to the lust of the flesh, don't we? Who are you to judge? And Paul's cry is, what? Is there no one among you who's spiritual enough to judge sin in the church? To call it out, to pray for that person? Not just call it out, but to come and walk alongside and bring deliverance from sin, to pray, to trust me, to lead people to me. Is there no one? Paul says, don't you know, you're going to judge angels one day. The saints will judge the world. That's what he's saying, the whole context. And then he says this beautiful thing. He ends up saying, we were all like that. We were all in sin, but you are washed, but you are cleansed. Look at verse... Verse 11, and such were some of you, but you are, were washed. And that word washed, by the way, in, in, the, in the Greek, it, it has this, it, it's, it's more than just cleansed. It, it gives this picture of you were filthy and the dirt is washed away from you. It's washed away. It's, it gives a picture of a flood, kind of like a torrent of water that doesn't just clean you, but it washes the filth away from your life. It moves things out. But you were sanctified. And that word I love. Because that word is, is this word of not only now are you washed, but now you're taken and you're put to use. So it gives the, the picture in the Greek of someone taking a pot that was filthy and they wash all the dirt out of it and then they not only take it, and put it out in the cupboard, they take it and they serve others with it. Clean water. It's useful. Sanctified. Useful. The word of Christ now takes those dry, dead places in your life and you speak the word of God. You become this vessel of use for clean words, wholesome words, Words of life, words of spirit, words that bring others to life. But you were justified. And again, you know, there's, there's the English kind of modern term, just as if you had never sinned. But I, I like the Greek part of this. There's a part of the Greek meaning of this word of justified is, is more than that. It is you're made righteous before God. It's more than just, just as if you had never sinned. It, it gives, I like this picture. You're incredibly in debt, right? Let's say, I'll tell you my own story. When our son Christian was still alive, he was very, very sick for many, many years. And when he was five years old, we took him to children's hospital and he nearly died. He was there in the intensive care for three months. And we thought the Lord was going to take him home. 
But somehow God did a miracle and the doctors couldn't believe it. And he, 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 his lungs strengthened and they finally took, him, took the, the ventilator off of him. And, 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 and I remember the day we released him and, 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 he, and he came home and, and we were so happy. But we walked home with $1.5 million in debt. And it wasn't very long, I don't know, a few weeks maybe, they started calling us. They said, we need everything you own. We need every credit card. You're going to pay this debt. You owe it. And we were like, I mean, that journey of Christian's life in the visiting doctors and into the hospital had bankrupted us, to tell you the truth. I had almost no money in the bank. It had so distracted me from my business. My business was hurting. And I was just, I remember we coming, Katie and I coming to the Lord and calling out to God and saying, Now I'm gone. You heard the prayers of our son. Now this, what? I don't know what to do. And I remember how the Lord just worked a miracle. And he, they, the, the, the government stepped in because of some things and they were able to pay one million of it off. The pressing million that the hospital needed. And we were left with like close to 500,000. And we said, okay, we can manage that. If I have to pay it for the rest of my life. They were willing to put us on payments. And that's not what justified means. Justified means not only would the hospital come to me and say, we pay your someone, some benefactor, maybe a Bill Gates or some big, you know, rich man, would have come to me and said, I paid your hospital bill. But more than that, I now have 1.5 million I have put into your checking account. Not only do you not owe anymore, you are rich. You've got enough of money that you don't need to worry about life for the rest of your earthly days. That's what justified means. That's what Jesus did. Not only did he pay the debt of our sin towards God, he gave us all his inheritance. Have you read that in Ephesians chapter 1? Every blessing in Jesus Christ has now become mine. You have been made heirs together with him. Romans chapter 8. You have the inheritance of Jesus himself. How rich are you? If you're struggling with finances here today and you're worried, how rich are you? You know what the Lord told me last week? You're a multi-billionaire because according to his riches in glory, my God shall supply all your need. Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, but my God shall supply every one of your needs according to what? How much money does he have? How much money does your father in heaven have right now? Someone tell me. That's just probably a block of gold. He owns the earth and heaven. Can he supply your need? According to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, my God shall supply every need. Spiritual need and earthly. 
but it will happen like this. He's not a philanthropist. God is not like that. He's a father and a good dad. And he doesn't just give his children the inheritance and says, go blow it on your lusts. You don't have the wisdom to handle this, but I'll give it to you anyway. Your faith will be destroyed by this blessing, but I'll give it to you anyway. No, he's a good dad. He gives it to us little by little. He meets the need, but only through faith. He wants to see faith. That's what he wants. Jesus said these powerful words. When the Son of Man comes back on the earth, will he find faith in your heart, in your life? Is there faith there? Is there faith to speak his word? Where dead people live, where things are slain, where there's no money, where you're completely bankrupt. Is there faith? In your heart, brother, sister, to proclaim his word. And you'll be revived. And verse 14 becomes reality in every one of our lives. Again and again and again. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Amen. Thank you, Phil, for sharing your word again this morning. Thank you for being here and Hearing the word, now let's go out this week and be doers of the word. That'll close this part of the service. As mentioned before, please stay and enjoy the time of fellowship over lunch and uh, be blessed with that as well. So, Those of the, you that are able, feel free to stand. We'll have a closing prayer and a blessing on our new meal. Thank you, Father, for being here with us this morning for opening your word to us. And I pray, Father, that we would now be doers of your word and not hearers only. Thank you for the food that you have provided for us. We pray your blessing on it and a blessing on our time of fellowship. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.